I believe that real estate investing as a subject, as an idea for investing is for everyone. I don't believe being an active investor is for everyone. So what do I mean by that? I have friends in the engineering world. They're great engineers. They really love it. They never want to go anywhere, um, but they make good money and they need somewhere to invest besides just their 401k. And through limited partnership opportunities, they have the ability to do that. Welcome to Money Vision U. In this podcast, we are passionate about teaching the financial class you should have had in high school so you can learn how to fast track your financial freedom. If you want to learn how to make, manage, and multiply your money and see opportunities the way the wealthy do, then you came to the right place. I'm your host, Stuart Berryhill. Money Vision U, class in session. Welcome to another episode of Money Vision U. Today we have Mr. Jonathan Nichols on the podcast with us. And quick bio on Jonathan just to get, get your interest because he's got an awesome story. Jonathan is a former engineer who is now financially free through real estate investing with 300 apartments that he controls as a general partner, 20 short-term rentals, and 1,000 apartments or units, apartment units, as a limited partner. He has a tremendous amount of experience that we can learn from. So with that being said, Jonathan, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Stuart. Thanks for having me. Hey, audience. Glad to be here. Glad to be with you all today. Awesome. Well, just I know that's a broad bio of where you're at now, but give the audience a little bit of a journey into how you got there, just your your background on um, who you are and how you got to where you're at now. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm sure your many of your audience has heard of um, the book Rich Dad Poor Dad, and so you know I definitely started out down the typical American path for finances, and you know went to school and got an engineering degree, studied hard, and then got a great job right out of school as an engineer here in Dallas Fort Worth area, um, and worked at that job full time for about eight years, and so. Um, my real estate journey all began a few years ago, shortly after I got married. Um, my wife informed me that we needed to have a hobby together, um, something that we could do and, and, and have fun doing together. And so, you know, we kind of went back and forth and couldn't really agree on anything. And lo and behold, a couple months later, I was just reading books. I'm an avid reader, always have been, and happened to read Rich Dad, Poor Dad um, and got the bug in my head that like, Hey, we need to start investing in real estate that, you know, stock market and 401ks is not going to do it for us long-term. And, you know, we should just buy a house or something to rent. And so she and I, uh, kind of got on the same page and started down that journey together. Um, our first investment property was a fourplex that we very slowly saved up money for, and then house hacked, which means that we actually had to go move to the property and live there based on the financing that we got. And we renovated each of the four units one by one ourselves completely. Oh, wow. Um, and so that was our first investment property. And that didn't um, have any uh, marital strife right there. Y'all weren't done with real estate after trying to do rehab. You know, it, it's so funny because one question that people ask me a lot is like, well, how did you get your wife on the same page? I would actually say she may have been one step ahead of me because my idea in this was originally just buy a house and rent it and stay living in the nice house where we already lived. And so 
she's the one that said, well, we're young and like, we can do this, might as well just go big or go home kind of thing. So um, it was really her pushing me a little bit more, I would say in the beginning, at least in, in that particular aspect of it. Okay. As, okay. So you start with the fourplex. Y'all didn't kill each other doing the rehab because I know <laughs> for me personally, I've done like some stuff myself of putting flooring in and, uh, it, that is about as foul mouthed as I get when I try to put flooring in or I, I, <laughs> hammers. I do more damage than good. So y'all survived that kudos. Good job. And then, uh, where'd you go from the fourplex after that? Yeah. So, um, one thing that we wound up doing with the fourplex. So as I already mentioned, I, I was an engineer in my job and so I'm supposed to be good with numbers. Right. So I did my analysis and stuff on how much this fourplex was going to make us and magically calculated that we were going to make about three or $400 a month of cash flow. Well, lo and behold, the previous owner um, had not taken very good care of the place and everything was breaking right and left. And so we were probably actually negative a couple hundred dollars a month. So a few months in, I was like, man, this is, you know, it's just not what I thought it was going to be. I thought we were going to make money. And now we have a job that we're having to pay for, you know? So um, we got the idea of doing Airbnb or short-term rental um, with the units um, based on just some other experience we'd had and, you know, friends and family that had kind of tried it on a short-term basis. And so we actually rented out one of the units on Airbnb and started making really good money with it. And so we went ahead and renovated the rest of the units as the leases were up. We just said goodbye to the tenants who were quite frankly, not that great. And then renovated the units and started doing it on short-term rental. And we went from probably negative cash flowing, maybe a couple hundred dollars a month to suddenly positive cash flowing two to $3,000 a month. So, wow. you know, it was like, if that doesn't turn the light bulb on, I don't know what will. And so we began to look for other properties, the first being a house that we could move to so that we could then rent the unit that we were in on Airbnb. So um, we bought another house and, and flipped it. Um, but rather than selling it, we went and lived in it. Um, we did that during COVID and bought a couple other properties in the area for short-term rental. Um, about that time, we began to get interested in multifamily syndication. Um, so for anyone who's not familiar with what that is, it's basically this idea that instead of having one investor who's buying an individual property themselves, you have a whole pool of investors who are buying a large property, in this case, an apartment complex together, and you are putting that deal together or syndicating that deal. Um, and so we began to get interested in that, um, joined a mentorship program and started learning and making offers and eventually landed our first deal about a year and a half ago. Um, and we're currently working on our fourth syndication right now. So we kind of, in short, have two different businesses, if you will. Um, one is the short-term rental business, which we now have quite a few units that we do that with. And then the multifamily, excuse me, multifamily syndication on the other side of things, um, which is also starting to take off as well now. Okay. So you've got your hands in the cookie jar of real estate and basically every way you can. <laughs> Pretty much. You, you've got a lot of experience really in the last, it seems like what, three, four years, something like that. And uh, yeah, absolutely. Have figured it out and uh, starting to really take off. And all of this started, well, your wife said, we need to find a hobby together. And that became real yeah. estate investing, which is great. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but for you, like, I always like to ask what sparked like the financial freedom journey, because maybe it started as a hobby that you and your wife wanted to do, but then it became, oh, I kind of want financial 
freedom because I don't think when you started with real estate, you were like, I want to leave my engineering job. I don't know if that was the thought. So what kind of sparked the uh, financial freedom journey? Was it just rich dad, poor dad? You met other people that were doing it. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So that's a great question because I think a lot of people, um, maybe they're a little bit more focused on their goal up front or they have a better idea of what they want. My goal when I read Rich Dad Poor Dad was just recognizing like, hey, my 401k may not be enough for me to live the life that I want to live when I retire. What else can I invest in? Um, And so it was not necessarily leaving the stock market, nor was it leaving my job. It was just finding an alternative investment to grow my money. Through time and learning, I began to hear about these people who had been so successful that they were able to leave their W-2 job and be full-time investors or real estate professionals, as we call them. Um, And so while I didn't necessarily jump on that bandwagon immediately, uh, eventually I did for a number of different reasons, probably the primary being that when you're doing big projects like multifamily syndication, it really requires 100% of your intention if you want to be successful and uh, be a good steward of the money that people are investing with you. And so um, those were kind of some of the main motivations of then setting that goal of leaving my job and doing this full time. But I would say it was, it was a solid year into our investing journey before that thought really even crossed my mind that that would be a a goal that we would be pursuing. Okay. Okay. Very cool. Um, Yeah. Rich dad, poor dad is definitely like a spark that gets people moving on a path. And then one thing leads to another and momentum carries you uh, to where you're buying a fourplex and you Airbnb it. And now you're purchasing, a, I can't remember what size property you have under contract, but now you have a few hundred units um, just in your portfolio, just kind of you. So that that's really neat. And do you still have that fourplex uh, today? Is that still? Yeah, still, okay. still cash flowing it. Basically every month after the end of the month, I run the numbers on it, figure out how much we made and, it's kind of a, a highlight of the month, but no, we uh, just for the cash flow, we have we have chosen not to get rid of it yet, and probably won't in the near future, quite honestly. So yeah, okay. we have not. That's that's kind of my my claim to fame in investing now is I have yet to sell anything. I just buy. So well, um, I mean, it's all about that cash flow. I mean, for for me yeah. at least, I mean, and anyone going for financial freedom, uh, that's the main metric that matters, I guess, cash flow. And so uh, absolutely, and then multiplying that. So really cool. Love that you still have that. And uh, I mean, you've, even though I'm sure it has appreciated massively since <laughs> you originally bought it, but still just kind of that cash flow is worth it to keep it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Now, okay. So let's dive into each of these different kind of categories you're into a little bit. Sure. Uh, just educate the listeners on each one. So starting with, let's, let's start with the short-term rentals. Let's start with that sure. because you've essentially, I mean, 20 short-term rentals, no joke. Like you, you're up, that's a business in a, of itself right there. And yeah. so um, are all of these in one location? Um, do you only advertise through Airbnb? How do you, how do you kind of operate? And are all of these just you and your wife that y'all own or did y'all partner in some of those? Just kind of take us through specifically the short-term rentals. Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, we could talk all day just on this alone, but the the short and sweet is that, you know, short-term rental, it's really, it's a cash flow business for us. It's the business that really helped me to be able to leave my job right now because multifamily is great for growing wealth, but especially as a general partner, if you're going to align interests with your limited partners or your investors who are putting money with you, 
um, you want the majority of your returns to come on the back end. That's where most investors are going to be comfortable. So what that means is, yeah. And so what that means is that, you know, you need a business that's going to provide you cash flow today. And that's what short-term rental is for us. And so um, we started out, as I already mentioned in our fourplex with the long-term rental model, and I've done some other long-term rentals here and there, mostly transitory as I'm like waiting for leases to end and then, you know, convert them to short-term rentals, quite honestly. But um, one thing that I would start out by saying for your listeners that I wish I had known when I was a little bit younger than when I learned is um, just the the how easy it is to get started in real estate investing, particularly with the trick that I've already mentioned called the house hack, which is basically where you use financing that allows you to live in the property, um, or I should say rather requires you to live in the property. And then you leverage that very um, lucrative financing in order to get into your first property. So what do I mean by that? Well, first of all, you put a much lower down payment. And so the amount of money that it takes to get into that property is much less, very useful. Um, You also are gonna get a lower interest rate on it, also very useful. Um, And so you can do that with a property anywhere from a single family house all the way up to four units um, is what you're allowed to do that on, which are considered residential properties. And so, you know, that's how we got started. And that's how I would encourage anyone to get started. You know, we already actually had a small house that we owned and lived in, but chose to make the sacrifice of going to the fourplex because of the benefits that we saw from that. So that's, that's tip number one. Um, so when it comes to the short-term rental business, um, the difference between it and long-term is it requires a lot more hands-on work. Um, instead of tenants leaving as often as once a year, you have people staying as short as a single night, although probably an average stay is about three days, let's say. And so it's, it's really like a miniature hotel in the sense that you're catering to people's needs while they're traveling and having to be cognizant of what's going on with different people at your property Um, and then being able to turn over those units in a matter of a few hours from one guest to the next. And so the question is, how do you do that? And the short answer is that you, you need a team of people who can help you to walk through those steps. So, um, you know, starting out, I did everything. Like when we had our first short-term rental, I ran the Airbnb listing. I talked to the guests. I helped them if anything was wrong. I even did my own cleanings for the first two units that we had. So I would basically limit our check-in to 6 p.m. and then get home from work at four and clean for two hours and then let everyone check in. So needless to say, that's a tremendous amount of work. And even with two units, it's almost not doable. So the first thing we did was hire a cleaner. And then we had that individual start doing the cleanings for us. And then we built up units and we hired another cleaner. Um, and then eventually it got to where the guest communication was so busy that I hired, um, a manager to basically do all the guest communication and did the reviews and do all that. And I just kind of put out the big fires. And now we actually have a a full-time manager, a full-time co-host, um, multiple cleaners that work for us. And, um, one thing that I'm particularly proud of is my wife and I, so we recently went on vacation for the year. And we're gone for about two weeks and I never heard a single thing from the business while I was on vacation and, and, but still got the paycheck at the end of the month. Right. And quite frankly, I think they actually did better than if I was here anyway. So maybe I should leave more often, but the the point of the story is that no matter whether you do short-term rental or long-term rental, 
you need a team, you need people that can help you. And you build that up gradually. You can't necessarily start from day one with everyone on board. You have to work hard and make sacrifices, but um, you need a team to build and execute on any business and particularly short-term rental. Yeah. I like, I like how you said that you kind of gradually build up your business, but you need to start with a little bit of, even if it's a month, just start with a little bit of experience, clean a unit, know like what you should look for uh, or handle guests how do you respond to this or that complaint? Things like that. Create your own automations. And then, uh, I mean, it wasn't too long of a journey. We're talking about a few years here and now you're able to vacation and just get a paycheck. <laughs> just yeah. owning the yeah. units and having built a business to where you have the team in place. So that is really cool. And I think, I mean, that, I mean, maybe it's the entrepreneur and both of us speaking that that should be everybody's dream. But to me, that just sounds like an awesome way to do things an awesome way to live. Uh, and so uh, I think that's really neat um, with that. So you have a fourplex, what do your other units look like there with your 20? Yeah. So we have a, a duplex and single families. And then the biggest one you mentioned, one thing was, was kind of ownership of all those. So all of them we own ourselves, except for we have one project that I did about a year ago, which is an eight unit multifamily property also here in Arlington. Um, all our properties except for three are here in Arlington and the other three are in Irving, which is a neighboring city. So I, you know, some people that do short-term rental, they're very big into the vacation rental space. And so, you know, they buy one in Florida and Arizona and all this. I don't do that. I just have all mine in one spot. I have one team, you know, and it's, it's a business. It's, it's not a, it's not a hobby for me. So it's a business. Um, and, and so anyways, kind of our, our, I guess, pinnacle project, at least for the moment is about a year and a half ago, I got this cool idea because we had done a few short-term rental projects and one or two multifamily. What if we did a small multifamily, we converted them all to short-term rentals. And, um, there was, I asked several people about this and it didn't seem like anyone had really done it at the time. There was a lot of questions as far as city regulations, as far as, lenders, um, you know, most lenders will not allow you to do short-term rental in apartments. Um, and so lenders and just a number of different other things. Um, and, but it was kind of a, just a, an idea, a creative idea I had in the back of my head, like, what if we could buy this and convert it? Because we'd have economies of scale in one place. Um, and anyways, so um, I had a broker that I talked to about just normal multifamily properties here in the DFW area who one day was like, hey, I know you don't really are interested in small multifamilies, but I have this eight units kind of in the area where you buy in Arlington. Would you be interested? And I was like, yeah, I'll take a look at it and get there. And, you know, it's one of those things where the seller promises you the moon and everything else of everything's renovated and it's great. And, you know, really it's a dump. And, um, but we wound up putting an offer on it. Um, and the closing process was very stressful actually, because, trying to line up lending for it. We had a lender who um, it passed committee before we put down hard money on the property and all that. Well, three weeks before closing, this lender just pulls out just because they're like, yeah, actually we, we changed our mind. We don't really like short-term rentals. So, you know, one thing in real estate, you got to be ready for stress and you got to be ready to scramble. And so uh, we found a backup lender and another local bank in the area um, whom I had done a little bit of work with before. And, um, they actually said, yeah, we'd be interested in this. Now, mind you, to get that, yes, we'd be interested in it. It took a tremendous amount of work on my end to provide them like a business plan and financial evidence from our other properties and a very solid 
um, level of confidence that we were going to be successful in what we were doing. It wasn't just like, hey, I have this cool idea. It was hard numbers, facts, and data from other projects and from our plans and quotes and invoices and everything else that went into convincing them to lend us money. But long story short, we got it closed. Um, the last day at 4.50 p.m., 10 minutes before the title closed, and yeah. off we went. So um, we did all, yeah, we spent the next few months, and we had an extension for the record in case anyone out there is a multifamily person, always have an extension. So but you had already used at that point, or you could have? No, we had, we could have exercise extension, but we did not. And so definitely would encourage everyone to always have that. Um, but we then began the process um, of emptying the units. And um, we had a lot of tenants who were not so great. We had everything from non-payers to people tearing up the property to mm-hmm. a couple people using drugs and abandoned cars and everything under the sun. So uh, we had to clean all that mess up, um, got the property emptied out, renovated it. We finished the renovation on the very last unit in January of this year. And um, we're up and going. So it runs well. Um, right now, I think we have like across eight units, maybe six days of vacancy across the whole month of June. So, I mean, it oh stays pretty gosh. full yeah. and um, it's up and going. But, you know, it was it was a lot of effort to get there. So anyways, yeah, well, that may be more than everyone wanted to hear. But that's that's kind of uh, our short term rental story. No, I love the detail because uh, I was going to ask, how's the eight unit going? Because, you know, you're thinking. Now, Arlington, Texas uh, is, so that's where you're located. So plenty of stuff to do in that city or reason yes. to travel there. And, it, you know, I guess it's not as seasonal, really. And so you mentioned it's not a vacation rental, um, but I think a lot of, and I think a lot of people misconstrued that with Airbnbs. Man, yeah. People come to Air, you know, I, we have some Airbnbs ourselves and they come to Airbnbs for all sorts of reasons. Yeah. For Arlington, there may be a lot of people, you know, going to Six Flags, Dallas Cowboys, Texas Rangers, whatever. But there's people that, man, they're waiting on their apartment to be ready or they're just passing through or all sorts of reasons that I'm sure you're experiencing now. Six days of vacancy. I know how much I mean, I I understand how lucrative Airbnb can be compared to long term rentals. But I mean, that just seems like a killer deal. And all your partners in that one have to be pretty happy with how that's going. They're pretty happy. And, um, you know, I think that one thing is we, meaning my wife and I at this particular time, because we had just closed on another project, invested money. Um, we had pretty minimal money ourselves to invest in this deal. Um, so effectively, you know, we invested very little compared to the other partners who we pulled in the deal. And, um, which is something that a few years ago would have really concerned me. Um, but you know, it was, the time when the opportunity presented itself and it was either take it or leave it. And so, yeah, we offered them what I think is a very lucrative slice of the pie. Um, and for me, it's kind of a, almost an infinite return kind of situation. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And, and, you know, we really, in, in, in all of our multifamily transactions, but particularly this one, you know, we really put the investors first and, um, you know, try to, try to benefit them as much as we can. And, you know, I think it's a, it's a pretty big win for, for everyone. Um, just the property itself is, is worth a lot more now. You know, we put several thousand dollars into each unit and redid the complete exterior and repaved the parking lot and just clean the place up in general. So, you know, even if we were to sell it tomorrow, you know, one year, basically after we bought it, we would make quite a bit of money. So yeah, I think it's been a pretty successful project so far. 
Awesome. Well, very cool. I love hearing about the short-term rental business, but I also love hearing that you're also into long-term rentals. And so what I'm noticing basically is for, because your short-term rentals are smaller size, it's biggest ones in eight, you got a fourplex, duplex, couple of houses, but then for the long-term rentals, you've decided to scale and you've got, you, you've limited partner in deals and you've, you're a general partner in deals. So first, I guess, tell us the difference between general partner and limited partner. I know you talked about syndications a little bit, but let's just start to dive into kind of some of those deals. How did you even start? I know you said you got a coach. Where did that come from? How did you start thinking about syndications and investing in hundred plus unit apartment buildings? Because for a lot of people that have never heard of that before, you're like, oh, that's only for the top 1% that are investing in apartment complexes. So how did you start getting into those and, and, and get into as an LP and the GP in those deals? Yeah. All great questions. Um, so first of all, I would say in my opinion, um, at least as probably as a GP, um, to me, I think that, that investing in apartments is for the 1%, but not for the 1% richest, for the 1% that are willing to like grow their minds the most and stretch themselves the most, Mm. Um, which is a very important differentiator because it means that normal people can get involved, but you have to have an extraordinary ability to really push yourself to learn, to grow, um, because it is a challenging business. And so um, we first started learning about multifamily through some folks at our local real estate meetup. So when Paula, my wife and I first started investing in real estate, one of the things we did was joined a couple local meetups, just free meetups that they have them every month and um, anyone can go. And so we met a whole variety of different people there. And, you know, most people were like us either just getting started or kind of learning, but a few people there were very successful real estate investors. And as we got to know a couple of those people better, you know, the question that we'd ask them is like, well, where, how do you become really successful in real estate? Like, are you just kind of buying a house here and there? And the answer by and large, not hundred percent, but by and large was no, actually we scale. And the way we do that is through larger properties. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of ways you could do larger properties. You could do a big office space. You could do a big industrial building. Um, but we gravitated towards multifamily. And the reason is multifamily is an extremely resilient asset to invest in. So if you think about it, even during the worst recession or economic times, people always have to have a place to live. So people who even have something as terrible to them as losing a house, or um, maybe they have to leave a more expensive apartment, they still have to have somewhere to live. And so particularly B and C class properties are, are extremely recession excuse me, extremely recession resilient um, and provide a lot of opportunity for investors, um, both from a returns perspective and from a risk perspective. Um, Another thing about commercial real estate in general that is particularly powerful that many new people don't understand is the opportunity to do what's called um, force appreciation. And what force appreciation means is that with a residential property, the value of that property is based on comparables. Or in other words, whatever your neighbor's house down the street sold for a month ago is what's used when you're assessing the value of your property today. So no matter how much income you have in that property, you will not change the value of the house. Now you could, you know, add 
countertops or new appliances or whatever, and you may increase it a little bit based on the comparables that have that, but you're, you're not going to increase the value of it just based on having more rental income. Not true with commercial. Commercial is strictly based on how much income that you can pull in that property. And so if you're a genius and you find a way to greatly increase the income that comes in that property, you will therefore greatly increase the value of that property. And so that's how we gravitated towards commercial real estate um, is basically because a well-placed business plan can really build wealth quickly um, and offers a lot of opportunity, both for the general partners or the active partners on the deal, and also for the limited partners or capital partners, if you will, for the deal. Um, so we started learning about that um, because we realized, hey, we're going to have to pull other people's money into these deals. We personally decided to join a mentorship program. Um, we just felt like having someone look over our shoulder and make sure we weren't making a big mistake despite all the experience and the time we'd spent learning um, was a wise idea. And so we joined a mentorship program and, you know, it took quite a while, you know, maybe 10 months to get our first deal, but eventually we did. And then just slowly but surely just been clicking them off one at a time. So we're working on our, our um, working on the fourth one right now. So that's, that's kind of where we're at. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I think for the audience, it's critical to understand that this whole thing spawned from, well, you were getting educated first, but then it was surrounding yourself with the right network and yeah. you were putting yourself around people doing what you were doing and also what you wanted to be doing. Even if you didn't know that was what you wanted to be doing, you didn't know all the options with real estate yet. And so you found the right network and, um, and then also had a mentor that helped with that. And that helped you progress. I know 10 months can, I guess that can sound like a, a long time, but I mean, look at you now. I don't know how old you are. What are, are you 32 years old? <laughs> so I actually turned 30 uh, one month from tomorrow. So 30 years old, financially free. <laughs> so 10 months ain't a long time, you know, in the grand yeah. scheme of things looking back. No, not that, at all. And, and so that's super cool. And I like how uh, you talk about commercial real estate is ultimately like it, it's, it's a business is how they are valuating it. Basically it comes down to how well the business is performing and you as an investor can say, Oh, I think we can do a little bit better, whether it's rate and ultimately a business is just finding ways to raise income or lower expenses. And uh, you found ways to do that. You find good deals. And then that's what you provide for, for your investors. And so you, uh, did you start with your first deal in, as an LP with the syndications or did you start as a GP or how did that work? Yeah. So my intention was to just start as a GP, honestly, and just invest money in my first deal. But like I said, it took us a little bit of time to get our first deal. And I did wind up investing as an LP before, I think it was maybe one or two months. It was pretty shortly, let's say two months before we went under contract for the deal that we were GPs on our first deal. Um, so yeah, I, I, I started out, I guess, with that experience and then moved on to the GP world. I'm not sure that those two were necessarily correlated, you know, as a, as an LP. Let me have you say this first, go ahead and describe uh, an LP and what that is just so we're not taking yeah, it. Yeah, of course. So LP stands for limited partner. And so limited means limited, um, control, but it also means limited liability. And so as an LP, you are investing money into a deal um, with a group of operators, which are the general partners or GPs. And they're the ones that are doing all the work on the deal. They find the deal, they put the deal together, they close the deal, they run the deal. 
And literally, if you wanted, from the day you wire your money, you do not have to do anything. Now, obviously, as a responsible fiduciary of your own money, you should read the reports and understand what's going on and um, all that good stuff. But at the end of the day, there's there's nothing that you have to do as an LP. And so, um, oh, and then liability. So you don't sign on the loan. And aside from the money that you have in the deal, you have no further liability beyond that. And so Honestly, it is the most lucrative way to invest your money, in my opinion. Um, you get all the tax benefits, all the high returns um, that you get with multifamily properties, but with minimal risk and basically no work. Um, so yeah, being an LP is awesome and, and we can talk about it more, but I have a number of deals that I'm also an LPN, um, mostly retirement monies, which you're not allowed to invest into your own deals that I've used to invest in those deals. Oh, okay. So you can, uh, I didn't know that. So if you have a retirement account, like an IRA or a 401k, you can't invest those into yeah. a deal that you're a GP in is what you're saying? Because it, because it has to be totally passive. And oh, the okay. idea is that by investing in your own deal, it's supporting it. So yeah, it's, you, you're not allowed to do that. But fortunately, you know, as, a, as an investor, I have a lot of friends that do this too. And so um, it's really just kind of finding a deal that I'm happy with and then putting money in it. So yeah, I'm, LP in multiple deals. Um, and you know, most of them going pretty well. So. Okay. Yeah. So basically a limited partner, you're able to completely passively invest in these apartment complexes and you are clearly very happy with the returns that it can give you compared to, and plus the, you know, tax advantages and things like that, that it can give you compared yeah. to like investing in the stock market or, um, whatever other assets, commodities, whatever, you know, you're one to invest in. So that that's a great thing for people and people to learn. And that's a great way really to just get started because as a limited partner, I'm a limited partner in the deal as well. And you learn a lot from that because if you're a limited partner, you're likely going to have people present a deal to you. They're going to keep you up to date with the numbers. And so you're, you, you get a little bit of experience. Obviously you're not necessarily hands-on, but you're able to watch something, you know, monthly, so to speak, and see how it's performing. And so I think that's really neat. And then you got into that and then eventually you closed on your first deal as a general partner. So what, what did you specifically do? If you're a general partner, does that mean, I mean, you're doing everything you are finding the deal, raising the money, you are operating the deal with the property managers, you know, things like that. Cause obviously different, so apartment syndication, it's a pool of investors and they all get a pie piece of the pie based off how much they invest or how much they do. So now you're a general partner. How are you getting all that done yourself or um, making that deal actually work? Yeah, yeah, no, that's a great question. So as, as you've already stated, you know, as a general partner, it's the opposite of a limited partner. So all the responsibility, all the work is on you. There's a multiple group of different buckets that you know, job descriptions and roles that have to be filled. And certainly one person can do them all. But I think one thing I learned right off the bat is that it's rare for a successful team on a successful team for one person to do all those things. Um, and so you have people who are more analytical and they're more, you know, on the deal finding side of things, the underwriting. Um, some people prefer to focus more on the capital raising and finding investors who might be interested in that deal. Some people are more project management oriented and organized and, you know, prefer to execute the asset management, which basically just means 
making sure that the property manager is doing what they need to do to hit the targets on your business plan. Um, and so, you know, there's multiple roles that need to be filled. And in my opinion, if you think that you can fill all those roles by yourself, you're probably kidding yourself um, because it's a lot of work and it's very niche skill sets. And while certainly you can, you know, I would say I can do any one of those roles. Okay. There's definitely some that I'm better at than others. Um, and so having a, a good group of, of partners in my opinion is very important. So our first deal, um, you know, we were what's called co-GPs, which means we basically, we didn't find the deal and we weren't like the leaders of the deal, um, but we played an active role in it. So what did we do? Well, first of all, we were the partners who lived the closest to that deal. And so, you know, we were responsible for visiting it and eventually doing the due diligence, all the unit walkthroughs, um, you know, helped with some of the, the CapEx construction um, and some of the business plan. And then, of course, raising money for the deal. And so, you know, there were several different roles that, that we played on that project and, and still play today. Um, and then as we've done each project thereafter, it's just kind of shifted based on the project. So. I have some deals where I've found the deal and done the majority of kind of the leadership role on it. Um, others where I've done, you know, more of an analysis and, you know, capital raising type of role. Um, so it really just depends on the particular project and, and where you're needed. But um, the, the kind of the point that your listeners should take from it is it's very active. It's a, it's a job, it's a business. Um, and it's really good if you can do it with a solid group of partners that have complementary skill sets. Okay. Yeah. So it seems like with the general partner, I mean, it's similar to your short-term rental business and then it full, takes a full team to operate it. Now with the short-term rental, you're able to be a little bit more on the top with your business as it is, but, um, with the general partnership, I mean, it just takes a team, you know, it, it's not just find a deal, raise the money and give it to a property manager to manage. It's, it's a lot more right. work than that. It's, um, it, it's not as passive or there's really nothing passive about it. <laughs> you I mean, you're having to be pretty active because after all you're taking investors money, they're trusting you with their money, which is a huge responsibility. And your job is to multiply it at the level you said you were going to multiply it. And so, uh, that's what you have to do. And, but I, I, I love your journey from starting with the fourplex and now you got to the syndications. I think that's a great way to kind of make it happen because you've been in and out of all sorts. You'll go swing a hammer if you need to, like you did with the fourplex or you'll, you can raise money. You, you're just well-versed in the real estate game here. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just kind of the only thing I would tack onto that, that, you know, I kind of mentioned to people is that, um, I believe that real estate investing as a subject, as an idea for investing is for everyone. I don't believe being an active investor is for everyone. So what do I mean by that? I have friends in the engineering world. They're great engineers. They really love it. They never want to go anywhere, um, but they make good money and they need somewhere to invest besides just their 401k. And through limited partnership opportunities, they have the ability to do that. They can invest passively and still have their day job and it provides them with a level of security and a lifestyle that they particularly like. And that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, whereas, you know, when you're an active investor, it's, it's nice because when everything's going along smoothly, um, you know, like I mentioned on our vacation and being able to relax and stuff, that's great. Um, the problem is we had a vacation before where we went under contract right at the beginning of vacation and we worked half the time that we were gone. And so, 
you know, it's very cyclical in terms of what it demands. And it's, it's pretty much a blank check when something has to be done, you just have to do it. And so, um, you know, it's not for everyone. I love it. I would not change it for anything, but it's not for everyone. And so, um, as people are deciding, well, where do I fit in, in the real estate investing world? That's the question you have to ask yourself when you're deciding, do I want to be active or do I only want to be limited as an investor? Yeah, that, that's a great point. Being active in real estate isn't necessarily for everyone in which, I mean, you're essentially adding work hours to your day. I mean, if you like what you are doing, like an engineer or, you know, you're a doctor, you're a teacher, you're a coach, whatever it is, that's great. Keep that. But what you're saying is real estate investing, though, that really is probably someone something everyone should be in because you can do it passively. I think right. a lot of people don't understand that you can do it passively, but it's good to diversify your portfolio and get into real estate investing because what is the quote, like 90% of millionaires have become so through real estate. Investing. 100%. And so that, that is, is that kind of accurate with what you're saying? A hundred percent. And you know, for me, it was kind of a blessing and a curse because I didn't know this when I started investing, I thought active investing was the only way to go. And that's why I bought a fourplex and came home and remodeled stuff at night and was stressed out and short on cash and all that when I started. Right. Um, but to me, that experience now has made me a successful operator in the multifamily world. So I would not trade it, but for someone who, you know, they're married, they have kids, they have commitments, they have a life. Um, you know, you don't want to have a rental property with tenants that are complaining and having to come home and deal with that on the weekends. Like, you may do it for a short time, for a few years, but you're going to get burned out. And so um, that's that's kind of the thing that, you know, I, I wouldn't say that I wish I had known up front because I don't think I would trade my particular journey, but it's definitely something that, you know, I think everyone should know is an option for them before they go one way or the other. I agree. And that's ultimately the purpose of the podcast is just trying to help you know what you don't know. You know, if you're 16 to 24 years old, I know when I was 16 to 24 years old, I had never heard of, I'd heard of real estate investing. I'd never heard of syndications or I didn't know that it was possible to passively invest in real estate. And uh, that's, that's what you've been able to kind of show us with this, with this episode this has been very enlightening, very educational because we haven't just talked about one way of real estate investing. We've talked about all sorts of different ways. And I love, I think your path is like, um, like if I would tell someone a path, to if they wanted to be in active in real estate, like your path is is perfect. You started with house hacking, you experienced with long-term rentals, you experienced with short-term rentals. One thing led to another. You've learned how to scale and, and and do all that. I think your path is perfect. Like if I'm sure you're in the same boat of like if I could have just bought a house or something and house hacked when I was in college, would have been off to a great start. And that's what I think listeners should take from this. Yeah. So that's what I was just thinking in my head is like kind of, you know, a lot of this may seem if I was, you know, 16 or 17 year old me, a lot of this might seem very complex or um, kind of a far reach. But I guess if I could give just like three tips, you know, for younger listeners of things that you can do or be thinking about doing. Um, one is like start learning how to make money and manage your money now. You know, I know people talk about investing and making your money work for you. Well, before your money can work for you, you have to have money. And so, you know, find a job, learn how to budget, learn how to live below your means. That's kind of a term that's thrown around. All it means is that you only have so much money coming in and you don't want more money going out than what's coming in. So 
Um, you know, live below your means, save money that you can use to invest. Um, so that's kind of step one. I think step two is read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you know, open your mind that there's a lot more to the world of finances than um, just going to work and making a paycheck and hoping that your 401k takes care of you. So I highly recommend reading that book. And then the last thing that Stuart alluded to would be um, looking at house hacking as soon as you can. So if I'm not mistaken, I think that you know, once you're 18, as long as you meet the qualifications, or even if you don't, maybe you have a parent or someone that can co-sign, um, you know, doing a house hack and like starting out, that's a great way to get started. And, and, you know, I think it's a, some people might laugh and be like, that's too big of a goal for an 18 year old, but I, for an 18 year old, but like, I think it's very ambitious. And like, even if you're going to college, you know, rent out the rooms to your, your roommates and, um, you know, live in college rent free and, um, you'll be very glad you did by the time you graduate. So, I mean, I, that's kind of the, the few things I would recommend. Oh yeah, I agree. I mean, there you go. I mean, there you have it right there. The, the steps for getting to where someone like Jonathan is at, just, I think he laid it out perfect for someone who is interested in that same financial freedom journey. And Jonathan's just trying to tell you how to do it earlier than he did it and uh, be at that path at an earlier pace. And man, it's been cool hearing your story and it's been an uh, honor having you on the podcast. Tell our listeners how they can follow you and learn more about you. Yeah, absolutely. So um, again, name is Jonathan Nichols. Our company, our multifamily company is called Apogee Capital. Um, Apogee being like the highest point of something that you can reach. And so we're trying to help investors reach that highest point. And ironically, in aerospace, it has a very similar meaning. So it's kind of a a dual meaning name, but Apogee Capital, our website is um, A-P-O-G-E-E-M-F-C, like multifamilycapital.com. Um, and on our website, we've got a ton of resources like podcasts that, you know, I've had the opportunity to be on. We have a blog, which I write every single week. It's really oriented around passive investing in multifamily, but you know, definitely has a lot of kind of real estate nuggets buried in it. Um, and then just a bunch of other resources that you'll find. And of course, contact information. So you know, feel free to reach out to me if I can be of help in any way. Oh man. Awesome. That'll be great. Everyone, if you have any sort of interest in real estate, you should definitely be going to Jonathan's website there and looking at those blogs, read a blog a week or blog a day, whatever it is, and listening to podcasts just to start getting more and more of his wisdom. And I'm sure he gets really into the weeds on those. So that is awesome. Jonathan, thanks again for coming on the podcast. You have been uh, an awesome guest, giving a lot of education and insight into all things real estate. So thanks for coming on and look forward to connecting with you in the future. Thanks, Stuart. Y'all take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of Money Vision U. If this is something that added value to you, then please subscribe, leave a review, and share. We are passionate about teaching financial literacy so you can learn to take control of your financial future. If you want to learn more, then follow us on social media platforms at MoneyVisionU. We look forward to catching you in the next class.